a woman was surprised at her church one Sunday when another woman who had often snubbed her went out of her way to give her a big hug before worship service. It caught her off guard. And throughout the service, she wondered what had caused a change of heart in that person. Well, she got her answer at the end of the service when the pastor instructed the congregation, your next assignment, your, your assignment for next week is the same as last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody you just can't stand. If that's all there is to loving one another, giving someone a big hug or a warm, fuzzy feeling, uh, that'd be pretty easy to do, right? But we know that love is a little more difficult and demanding than that. Last week, the Apostle John told us about God's great love for us. A love that is out of this world. A love that sent Jesus to a cross. A love that moved God to adopt us and call us His very own. For those who believe in His great love, we are called children of God. That's who we are. And John explained that we need to act like who we are. In light of God's great love for us, we must not betray that love by living in sin against Him. Now this morning, John turns his focus from God's love for us to our love for one another. If you recall... John has already talked about loving one another back in chapter 2. Describing our love for one another as a piece of evidence. A piece of of proof of our salvation. Proof of our salvation. But this time, he approaches the subject from a slightly different perspective. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and we will pick up where we left off last week, beginning with verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. John tells us... For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. 
not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Love one another. From the beginning, that message from God has not changed. It runs throughout the Bible. But before before exploring what love is in his letter, John starts by telling us what love is not. And he drops the name of Cain. Which takes us all the way back to the beginning of our Bibles. In Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, we are told, Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, And it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. He was a farmer. While Abel, his younger brother, was a shepherd. And there came a time when the brothers were to make an offering to the Lord. Now, we are not told the nature of the offering. Whether it was simply to be there of their best, an offering from their heart, or they were to make an animal sacrifice due to the sin their parents had introduced. Whatever it was, 
Both Cain and Abel likely knew what God had required of them. And Abel took God at His word. He believed that God knew best. And by faith, Abel gave his offering. Cain, on the other hand, thought that what he had to offer was good enough for God. He would worship God on his own terms and in his own way. He disobeyed. And he brought whatever produce was at hand from the ground. Cain knew what God required. And if it was an animal sacrifice, he could have made some effort to capture an animal worthy of sacrifice. Or he could have bartered with his younger brother and traded produce for a worthy animal. But no. In rebellious and faithless self-reliance, Cain brought a veggie tray. Cain's heart was not right with God. God accepted Abel's righteous offering. But Cain's was rejected. And he became jealous and resentful of his brother. God personally reached out to Cain so that he might repent. But he did not. Instead, Cain was angry with God and took it out on his brother. And said, in effect, well, God, if you want blood, I will give it to you. And we know the rest of the story. Cain, in his anger and hatred, killed his younger brother, Abel. So John said, don't be like Cain. For he was of the evil one. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not like Cain. I haven't murdered anyone. And I guess you could pat yourself on the back for that. But I would suggest you wait a moment. Because John is not done. Beginning with verse 13, John continues and says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
just as Cain hated his brother Abel, we're told the world will hate us. To include much of the religious world. Remember, it was the religious leaders, people who claimed to follow and represent God, who killed the Son of God. So it should not be surprising that the world hates us. But what is surprising, what is surprising is the hatred between those who claim to be Christian brothers and sisters. For John, that is surprising. Because as evidence of being born again, of passing out of spiritual death into spiritual life, we should be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, even though at times it may be difficult. Now, the wording in this passage prompts an interesting question. If you notice in verse 14, it's up there, right? Verse 14, John speaks about not loving. Okay? Not loving. And then in verse 15, he changes the wording a bit and equates not loving to hating. And here's the question. Is it possible for me not to love you, but also not hate you? Can I not love you, but also not hate you? In other words, can I just be neutral about you? I think for many people, that's what they desire. They just want to be neutral about one another. But it does not appear that John allows for any middle ground here. At least I don't see it. As a normal manner of life, as a practice, there's that word again, as a practice, either you love your brothers and sisters or you hate them. Like many stances in the Bible, such as life or death, light or darkness, good or evil, truth or lie, it's either or. Even Jesus said, even Jesus said, either you are with me or for me or what? Or you're against me. 
There is no middle ground. Not loving, not loving is hating. Not loving is hating. And then John takes it to another level and says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So John goes from not loving to hating and now to murder. How in the world did John make that huge leap? My guess is he remembered what Jesus had taught. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, Jesus said, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Those were the words of Jesus. I think we can all agree that as an outside act, okay, as an outside act, just from the damage of taking a life, Hatred is not the same as murder. Okay? As an outside act. I think it is fair to say that Abel would have rather been hated by Cain than murdered by Cain. I'm just making a stab. I think we're all on the same page with that. But Jesus wasn't merely looking at an outside act. He was also looking at the heart. And from that vantage point, the inward intent is the same. In God's sight, whose eyes judge the heart, hatred is the moral equivalent to murder. The condition of the heart is the same for both. And the only difference is one actually involves the taking of a life. That's the only difference. So according to both Jesus and John, those who hate are murderers at heart. They are murderers at heart. And eternal life is not abiding in them. And just for clarification, John is not saying that anyone who has committed a murder cannot inherit eternal life. 
If that were the case, then the Apostle Paul, who was involved in the stoning of Stephen, is utterly lost. Instead, John is talking about those who practice, who practice hatred. He's talking about those who have a lifestyle, a lifestyle of willful and habitual hatred towards others. And for those who live like that on a consistent basis, it's evidence they are not born again. That's what they're saying. Now, in stark contrast to hatred, John describes love as demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ and modeled by true children of God. Beginning with verse 16, John says... We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. I suspect most of us know John 3.16 by heart. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that by heart. But how many of us pay attention to 1 John 3.16? It's the same John who wrote them both. And here he makes an important connection between these two verses. It's one thing, it's one thing to experience the blessing of John 3.16. Knowing that Jesus willingly and sacrificially laid down his life for us. But it's another thing to share in that blessing by following 1 John 3.16 and willingly and sacrificially loving our brothers and sisters like Jesus loved us. See the connection? Now, it's doubtful that any one of us will be Asked to physically lay down our lives for someone. Very doubtful. But in less dramatic ways, all of us are to demonstrate love to those in need. Maybe it's in the sharing of our, of our material possessions as John just mentioned. 
Maybe it's in serving one another in, in, in a practical way. Or maybe it's in the giving of our time and talents and energy. Whatever the case, true love can't ignore others. It can't pass by others without concern. And it must be more than mere talk. It must show itself. I want to read this story. It's a long story. From Beth Moore. Where she describes something that happened to her. She said, I was in the Knoxville airport with all waiting to board planes. I had the Bible on my lap and was very intent upon what I was doing. I had had a marvelous morning with the Lord. I say that because I want to tell you it's a scary thing to have the Spirit of God really working in you. You could end up doing some things you never would have done otherwise. Life in the Spirit can be dangerous for a thousand reasons. Not the least of which is your ego. I tried to keep from staring. But he was such a strange sight. Humped over in a wheelchair, he was skin and bones. Dressed in clothes that obviously fit when he was at least 20 pounds heavier. His knees protruded from his trousers. And his shoulders looked like the coat hanger was still in his shirt. His hands looked like tangled masses of veins and bones. The strangest part of him was his hair and his nails. Stringy gray hair hung well over his shoulders and down part of his back. His fingernails were long, clean, but strangely out of place for an old man. I looked down at my Bible as fast as I could, discomfort burning my face as I tried to imagine what his story might have been, I found myself wondering if I just had a Howard Hughes sighting. Then I remembered something, that he was dead. So this man in the airport, an impersonator maybe? Was a camera on us somewhere? There I sat, trying to concentrate on the Word to keep from being concerned about a thin slice of humanity served on a wheelchair only a few seats from me. 
All the while, my heart was growing more and more overwhelmed with a feeling for him. Let's admit it. Curiosity is a heap more comfortable than true concern. And suddenly, I was awash with aching emotion for this bizarre-looking old man. I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall. I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something dramatic is bound to happen. And it may be embarrassing. I immediately began to resist because I could feel God working on my spirit. And I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh, no. God, please, no. I looked up at the ceiling as if I could stare straight through it into heaven and said, don't make me witness to this man. Not right here and now. Please, I'll do anything. Put me on the same plane, but don't make me get up here and witness to this man in front of this gawking audience. Please, Lord. There I sat in the blue vinyl chair, begging His Highness, please don't make me witness to this man. Not now. I'll do it on the plane. Then I heard it. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear. My heart leapt into my throat and my thoughts spun like a top. Do I witness to the man or brush his hair? No brainer. I looked straight back up at the ceiling and said, God, as I live and breathe, I want you to know I'm ready to witness to this man. I'm on this, Lord. You've never seen a woman witness to a man faster in your life. What difference does it make if his hair is a mess if he's not redeemed? I'm on him. I'm going to witness to this man. Again, as clearly as I've ever heard an audible word, God seemed to write this statement across the wall of my mind. That is not what I said, Beth. I, want, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. I looked up at God and quipped, I don't have a hairbrush. It's in my suitcase on the plane. How am I supposed to brush his hair without a hairbrush? God was so insistent that I almost involuntarily began to walk toward him. I stumbled over to the wheelchair thinking I could use one myself. I knelt down in front of the man and asked, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He looked back at me and said, What did you say? May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? To which he responded in volume 10, 
little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk louder than that. At this point, I took a deep breath and blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye in the place darted right at me. I was the only thing in the room looking more peculiar than old Mr. Longlocks. Face crimson and forehead breaking out in a sweat. I watched him look up at me with absolute shock on his face and say, if you really want to. Are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to. But God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right then. He pressed on my heart until I could, I could, until I could utter the words, yes, sir, I would be pleased. But I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. I have one in my bag, he responded. I went around to the back of that wheelchair, got on my hands and knees, and opened the stranger's carry-on, hardly believing what I was doing. I stood up and started brushing the old man's hair. It was perfectly clean, but it was tangled and matted. I don't do many things well, but I must admit I've had notable experience untangling knotted hair mothering two girls. Like I'd done with either Amanda or Melissa in such a condition, I began brushing at the very bottom of the strands, remembering to take my time not to pull. A miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing that old man's hair. Everyone else in the room disappeared. There was no one alive for those moments except that old man and me. I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of that hair. I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for another soul in my entire life. I believe with all my heart, I for a few minutes felt a portion of the very love of God that He had overtaken my heart for a little while. Like someone renting a room and making himself at home for a short while. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew they had to be God's. His hair was finally, finally as soft and smooth as an infant's. I slipped the brush back into the bag, went around the chair to face him. I got down on my knees and put my hands on his knees and said, Sir, do you know Jesus? He said, Yes, I do. Well, that figures. He explained, I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, you see, 
the problem is, I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had open heart surgery, and she's been too ill to come see me. I was sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must be for my bride. Only God knows how often He allows us to be part of a divine moment when we're completely unaware of the significance. This, on the other hand, was one of those rare encounters when I knew God had intervened in details. Only He could have known. It was a God moment, and I'll never forget it. Our time came to board, and we were not on the same plane. I was deeply ashamed of how I acted earlier and would have been so proud to have accompanied him on that aircraft. I still had a few minutes, and as I gathered my things to board, the airline hostess returned from the corridor, tears sobbing down her cheeks. She said, that old man sitting on the plane, sobbing. Why did you do that? What made you do that? I said, do you know Jesus? He can be the bossiest person. And we got to share. I got on my own flight, sobs choking my throat, wondering how many opportunities just like that one had I missed along the way. All because I didn't want people to think I was strange. God didn't send me to that old man. He sent the old man to me. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this challenging passage. And I'll be the first to admit I have failed more times than I can count to love those you have placed around me. probably because I've been so focused on my own agendas. My own self-interest. Father, forgive me. Lord, Your Word is abundantly clear. You command us to love one another. 
And Lord, that's what I want to do. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us a heart. Give us a passion. Cast aside our egos. And help us to love those you have placed around us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. You proved it on a cross. You call us your own. We are children of God. Father, help us to act like it. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm not going to tell you to love someone you can't stand for fear you might hug me to death. You know, I've told you many times it's a struggle for me to put together a sermon. It still is. It's a struggle. I have to really work on it. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. I, I, I describe it as wrestling. I feel like I have to wrestle with Scripture. And usually it takes me all the way up to Saturday to have something for Sunday. This week, Wednesday came along, and I'm like, wow, I pretty much have a sermon. I was partly excited, but partly concerned, because that doesn't happen. And in my mind, I'm going, okay, Lord. What are you cooking? You got something else going on for me, and you've allowed me to get this sermon done earlier than I normally would. That's what I'm thinking. What What are you doing? What are you doing? So Wednesday, I get a call from a man, a younger man, With a horrible alcohol problem. <clears throat> horrible. <clears throat> he calls me. I'm at the bottom. I'm going to a beach. I'm going to stay in a tent on ocean shores, up at ocean shores. Would you come and be there with me? Had no excuse. My sermon was done. Thank you, Lord. That's how it works. That's how the Lord works. My sermon was done. I had no excuses. 
So I drove up to Ocean Shores. Spent a horrible night freezing on a beach in a tent. To help this young man detox. That's where he's at. He's in a facility now in detox. The point of bringing this this up is, you know, we got to do what love requires us to do. What does love require us to do? Right? What does love require us to do? It's that simple. Jesus loved us. He modeled that love for us. And we're to love in the same way. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us different. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know the love of Jesus. I would love to share you with them. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. He loves you dearly. Maybe looking for a church home. We want to love on you as well. Or maybe there's something else. I'd love to pray with you. However the Lord moves you, I just ask that you respond to Him. Because He loves you. Thank you for coming this morning. I know, I know many are, are, are under the weather. Uh, for those who are not here, I would just encourage you to give them a call, see how they're doing, just to share um, your love with them. It doesn't, doesn't take much, just a phone call, a text, something like that. Anyway, thank you for being here this morning. Let, let, me, uh, let me close in prayer for our offering, just to remind you uh, our baskets are back there. And then also, I hope you stay for fellowship. Father, I thank you so much uh, for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you love us. Father, I, 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 I pray that uh, you would help us to share Uh, your love that you give us to others. Help us to be a conduit of that love. Help us to take John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 and connect them. May you be honored and glorified. Fathers, we take up our our tithes and offerings. Lord, I I pray that you would bless the the giver and the gift. Lord, cause us to, to, to give from a generous heart and also a grateful heart. And the fathers of church, help us to use your money wisely. The Lord, for fellowship afterwards, Father, bless those who have prepared and brought food. And Lord, I pray that you would just use this food to just to nourish our bodies. And Lord, more importantly, I pray that the fellowship would just be, would be significant, would make real connections with one another. 
loving connections. Thank you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.